Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored, as always, by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show comes to you from my sumptuous balcony office here in Las Vegas, Nevada. We have conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, inspirers, and others who show you how to serve from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience by sharing their tales. Listeners know that tuning into our show is like sitting in on a private mastermind session, so I encourage you right now to get a pad of paper and two pens and be ready to capture those aha moments that will naturally arise in your mind and give you the slight edge as you move forward with your journey. Today, we are going to discuss a couple of things. I love sharing stories on Business Creators Radio Show of folks who come to the United States as immigrants and make the most of the American dream. I'm a big believer in the American dream. I love these stories, so this is going to be one of those. And the particular individual we have today, somebody you're really going to like, also has some insights for us on the college admissions process and what's going on with getting into college and things of that nature these years. It's very important stuff. There have been a lot of changes. And right now in the environment, there are some questions about the value of college education. So I'd like to really get into this right now. And to help us bifurcate all of this, I have Dr. Shirag Shamasian. Let me tell you about him. He's the founder of the Shamasian Academic Consulting Company, and he's one of the world's foremost experts on college admissions. Dr. Shamashian has spent the past 15 plus years helping thousands of students get into top programs like Harvard, Stanford, and MIT using his exclusive approach and has found his professional calling in helping others achieve their educational and career goals. Shirag, thank you so much. Welcome aboard. Come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right. So before we get into some of the things you want to cover with us today, and you gave me a few bullet points when we were chatting in the green room, what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio is I read off your bio. It's very impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and it's my show. <laughs> but uh, that being said, tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, I, you know, my process in getting to this point, I think, happened pretty organically. Um, you know, my parents immigrated to this country and they always preached to my brother and me, you know, go to school, get a great education, um, you know, get a good job, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, OK, sounds good, mom, dad. What do I do? And they're like, I don't know, you know, okay. uh, figure it out. Uh, and I was like, OK. And so that's that's what I did. Um, you know, I went to a small school in L.A. Uh, where I you know, had very limited college counseling support and. Uh, was very self-taught with this process because I, you know, had high aspirations. And fortunately, I was able to 
um, you know, get into great programs and get wonderful scholarships and fellowships and things of this nature. And along the way, people, you know, they're almost like people who, <laughs> as though they were like keeping a secret, right? They're like, hey, you know, I, I kind of want to go to those schools too. How'd you make it happen? Could you help me? And I, you know, started assisting other people. They were having success. They started telling other people. And over time, it just kind of grew through word of mouth organically. And I did it to scratch my own itch. And, um, you know, and, and then, you know, the demand was increasing and interestingly, you know, I noticed that people were asking highly similar questions and I want to send them resources, except I was finding that there weren't really that many helpful resources out there. And so I got to writing them and over time, random people started reaching out people I had no connection to. They weren't the friend of a friend or, or anything of this sort. And I started asking, well, how did you even find me? You know, who are you? And they said, oh, I read one of your articles online. And I realized, oh, oh gosh, there's like a whole different, you know, there's a whole different game going on here, which is, you know, people can find you through organic traffic. And I had no idea how things appear on Google. I thought it was just, you know, random. And, and so, you know, that sort of started yielding tons and tons of fruit. And over time, the demand grew and and then, you know, started, uh, you know, hiring, you know, other coaches and training on our system and, you know, and, and it just uh, basically became what it is today. When I was growing up, I came from some little rinky dink small town that I don't even like to think about. And uh, the moment I got out of that thing that they call high school, which I actually have other names for, yeah. I could not wait to get to college. For me, it was about getting the hell out of there and seeing something else of the world. I grew up in Southwest Pennsylvania, and it was a natural decision for me to go to Penn State. I really like Penn State. I went to a, a branch campus for two years, and they're officially called Commonwealth campuses, but they are branches. And then I went to the main campus, University Park, for five semesters. I added the final semester because I had a couple opportunities that would not have been available till then. Plus, I was a little young because I'd been skipped a grade in elementary school, and if you go to Penn State, you know it's a drinking school with a football problem. If you don't have at least a few good semesters of being able to party legally, you've kind of blown the whole thing. I was not going to leave there with only one semester of uh, partying legally on game weekends. I mean, it just wasn't happening. Now, that being said, I, uh, I think the education was overall good. But uh, some of my stories about my challenges have to do with how much time and money was spent, and in my opinion, wasted on general education curriculum that was basically high school all over again, and how they tried to force even more on me, and I had to resist it. And candidly, a lot of my actual stories about the Penn State experience are about meeting women, getting drunk four nights a week, and uh, camping outside of games. So to me, I believe that going to college is not just about the bookwork. It's also about the opportunity to see something of the world beyond what you might have experienced up until now. And just one other brief story. I have a friend of mine who, uh, he's a retired FBI agent. His daughter was into carpentry as a teenager, really loved building cabinets, doing woodwork and things like that, and had the idea that that's what she wanted to do professionally in her life. So he made a deal with her that she would go to college and get a four-year degree, that uh, she had to go out of state because he wanted her to see a different environment. She had to live on campus to get immersed in it. And she had to get a real degree in something like accounting or business. This 
in exchange for her doing this, he would fund her startup costs if she wanted to start a carpentry business. He just wanted her to have a little bit of experience outside of their hometown and wanted to have an educational backup that would support her in actually monetizing and enjoying her brilliance and her passion. So I share those two stories just because I want to leave them open-ended and get your thoughts. Hmm. Yeah, so let's uh, let's go with one story. So talk to me about the first story and, and we'll unpack it together. Okay, so I, I mean, again, going to college was kind of like my escape route, but I really came to enjoy it. And academically, I did really well and I did learn a fair a fair amount of things. At the same time, the real value of it to me was it expanded my horizons. It showed me things I otherwise never would have seen. It let me know about other worlds, gave me a chance to explore different ideas, cultures, thoughts, etc. And candidly, uh, three of my best friends who have stayed with me through life are the ones I made in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so college, I think, has different values for different people. Um, you know, I, and so it's, I don't think that it's one thing, right? I think that's for some people, it's a stepping stone for what they really want to do. And, you know, we specialize in helping people get into medical school. So that's something that I routinely see, right? Where there are some people who come from high school to college, they're just like, all right, what do I need to do as a pre-med to get into medical school? And that's my priority. Right. So they put their head down and work. And obviously they make great friends and, and those things too. Don't get me wrong. It's not black and white, one or the other type of thing. But people have different things. There are other people who say, you know, finally I get to, you know, be my own person and leave my house and explore things I didn't get to before and whatnot. And that's a primary motivator. Um, and, you know, other people it's building a network, other people it's having fun, whatever the case might be. And so it's not, you know, I think that sometimes people, question the value of college or, or maybe even over romanticize college, um, you know, when they, when either they have a certain expectation and doesn't meet it or, um, or if they're, you know, sort of like putting all their marbles in it or thinking that it's this one thing and they get upset when other people, you know, don't see it their way and, and whatnot. And I think that leads to a lot of controversy and, and arguments and, and what have you. So, yeah, I mean, for you, um, it sounds like at the time it was really to explore areas that, you know, you hadn't explored before, get out of your small town and, you know, meet people from different parts of the state and the country and, you yeah. know, the backgrounds or whatever. And it, and it you know, it did that for you. Um, and I'm sure along the way, like you said, you, you learned plenty and it served as, you know, foundation for, you know, for what you do now. Maybe you don't do something related to your major or something like that. No problem. But, you know, maybe it's organizational skills, life skills, social skills, whatever the case might be. Um, that I think, you know, could have been a, a great benefit. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up because, and again, this is just an open conversation because I want our listeners to think about the value of college education. I was a political science major because I, my plan at the time was to go to law school and become an attorney. Yeah. Along the way, I, one of the courses I was required to take was an introductory course of the history of the Middle East. I really fell in love with it, and I really hit it off with the professor. I ended up doing that as a minor. And then between poli-sci and something about the history of the Middle East, just on paper, I picked up enough credits. I automatically became a history minor. All I had to do was sign the paper. So I came out with two minors, technically. Uh, I ended up not going to law school because right before I graduated, I attended a seminar taught by an adjunct professor from the Dickinson Law School. He was charismatic. He was mesmerizing. He drew me in. At the end of two hours of listening to him, I knew there was no way in how I wanted to do that for a lifestyle. Nothing 
against it because I have great friends who are lawyers who love it and are great at it, but it wasn't for me. What I ultimately gained and what I'm using to this day from that experience is when you're a political science major or something mainly of the liberal arts, you do a lot of writing and you also end up doing a lot of procrastinating until the night before. So it's given me a skill in my business today where I'm able to be creative on short notice and generate really great written work. So that to me is really where the value of it is turned around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, right? So when you go into college, you expect a lot of stuff and, and sometimes it meets that expectations and other times it doesn't. And then that's not a bad thing. You know, uh, some people go in there thinking I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for grad school and beyond. And, you know, they, they do a different major or they have some internship that really, you know, impresses them and makes them, you know, rethink things. Other people, you know, they think they're going to go into a certain field. They get their first C and they're like, oh boy, maybe I'm not cut out for this thing. <laughs> you know, and, and I've seen it, I've seen it happen a million different ways. And so, you know, my, one of my, the pieces of advice I share with young students all the time, and, and frankly, with, you know, adults too, that come to me and ask for, you know, advice on different matters is always make the best decision based on the information you have today. Right. Yeah. And so at the time, if you're trying to decide on a college, like, you know, make that decision based on what it is that you you want to accomplish, whether it's academically or socially or whatever the case might be. And if it turns out that it doesn't quite meet your expectation, don't kick yourself that you made the wrong decision. You actually made the right decision based on your criteria back then. Right. Your criteria has changed because you learn more about what you want, but it's not all over right? Like, it's not like you go to college, it doesn't meet this specific expectation, and you screwed it up or something like that. Um, it's all about making the right decision based on the info you got. You know, I, I tried to get a C once. How did that work out? <laughs> uh, it was by the time I got to the second half of my junior year, and finally, I got through that most of that gen ed crap. And I was able to start taking poli sci related courses. But yeah. I still had to do one more science. Yeah. So I took a class in geology. Now I looked at things and I realized my overall grade point average was very high and I was uh, likely to get a 4.0 or very close to a 4.0 in my major. And at that time I knew, I had just recently learned that you have two separate GPAs when you come out of college, one overall and one for your major. Yeah. And, there, and there are reasons for that. And this is something that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, so I decided, you know what? I'm, I have to take this class, but I'm going to change my thinking to, I get to take this class. I'm not going to worry about acing the tests. I'm not going to cram for this one. I'm just going to go to lectures, enjoy them. And I got a pretty good education on what causes erosion and how to make a thunderstorm in my backyard. So it was, uh, so it was pretty interesting. Now, come to the final, I did the math and I figured out that to get a B, I needed a 43 on the final. And to get into the A range, I needed a 92. So, you know, you know what I did? I, I hit the books. I pulled no, no, no. I showed up. I answered as many multiple choice questions as I could. For the ones I didn't know the answer, I went back and picked C. For the three essay questions, I answered one really well. And then the other two, I wrote one sentence each. I was the first one to get done. I handed it up to the professor. He gave me a knowing look and a nod because he knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> And I thought, okay, I got my B here. So I, so my goal was 
to fill out what I was confident was a 50 on that final to give me some cushion in case I made a few mistakes. Sure. I got an A. I'm sorry. You tried and you you failed at the, getting your C. The curve. Oh. Yeah, the curve bailed me out. Uh, those <laughs> curves. Yeah. So, so going beyond this, you know, we've laid a little bit of a foundation for some of the reasons people might want to go to college, some of the things that they're thinking about when they're picking a college, picking a major, picking a course of study. So I know your forte comes to do with the admissions process. Now there, you've told me that there have been some changes over the past 10 to 15 years. So somebody who's thinking about college today or a parent, because many of our listeners in addition to being entrepreneurs happen to have kids, uh, which is why I wanted to bring this onto our lineup, you know, it's going to be different for their kids than it was for the parents. So what are some of the changes we've seen? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, you know, even when I was applying, uh, you know, and, and I'm going to be a bit younger than a lot of the parents, uh, you know, whose kids we support. And some of the biggest things that I've noticed is, I mean, probably the single biggest thing I've noticed is the change in what makes for a great extracurricular profile. So as far as, you know, stats go, it's pretty clear, right? When I say yeah. stats, I mean GPA and test scores and, you know, the level of challenge you take in school and all this kind of stuff. When people say it's harder today than it was back then, they are 100% correct. Uh, it is harder today than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and, you know, it's harder because the, your competition is stronger. They're taking harder courses. They're doing better in them. The, the test scores are higher, all this kind of stuff. A lot of kids have figured it out, right? Um, where things have, and that's, you know, easy for people to wrap their head around, which is unfortunately people over, why people over focus on stats, right? They'll say, hey, my kid has X, Y, and Z GPA and they have ABC test scores, is that good enough for this school? Can What's their chance? I'm like, well, that's just kind of the, you know, the ticket to even be considered. It's not going to be any sort of differentiator for you. And yeah. the big differentiator is actually what you do outside of the classroom. Because yeah. historically, what you did was you joined a lot of different activities um, and you got, you know, leadership positions in them and stuff like this, right? So... You became president of the yearbook club, captain of the tennis team, whatever the case. Yeah. Is. Oh, I remember. Yep, and that was that was good enough for a lot of people. Um, what happened over time is it changed. A lot of people, you know, saw what was going on, so they became well-rounded, and and then it became, you know, an interesting shift occurred where the colleges started seeing so many students that had highly similar profiles to them or to one another that the well-rounded profile stopped differentiating star students. It was like, oh, here we go again, a well-rounded student. You know, I've uh -huh. seen of them just this year. And when that happened, it completely shifted. Because now, you know, it's like, well, how do I differentiate well-rounded student A versus well-rounded student B? I need some other metric. And the metric became who's extremely strong extracurricularly who has a clear uh, profile right where they've gotten deep they've gone deeper with a few things rather than done you know a million different things kind of well 
that's got to be a relief to some of our parents because that's less trips in a minivan, but go ahead. Sure. It is. <laughs> the problem is it's hard for people to hang their hat on. Well, what's deep enough. It's also really difficult for people to shake off years and years of conditioning, including what worked for them. Right. Yeah. So you got a lot of parents who are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get the advice. You know, I have to, my kid has to go deep and all this stuff. And then I'm like, sounds good. And then they're like, so which which of these seven clubs should they join? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're hard, you're having to unlearn some of those previous things. And you also have to buy into the new approach because otherwise you're going to fall into your old habits and the advice that doesn't work anymore. Right. Yeah. And so this is what we, you know, what we're always working to, to change, um, you know, to change, uh, in our, in our students' behaviors, but also their mindset and also parent mindset, because a lot of the push does come from parents and everyone has to be on board. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of interesting to consider because yeah, I remember I got, and this was in the early 1990s. I, supposed to join all this stuff and it was supposed to help me some way and you know my personal thought is that you know what high school ultimately did to me it gave me a story for a book that I contributed a chapter to and mm. in, in, in today's world and in the end and this is basically the story is that early on during those four years I you know my very first nine-week period I didn't do perfect grade wise. So the rest of the four years, I got this pressure to, I got to get my grade point average, my QPA up to a 3.5 or I'll never get into college. And then I kept hearing, well, you still don't qualify for the national honor society. So I guess you can kiss college goodbye mm -hmm. thinking, huh? Even I didn't buy it at the time. Now, what I know in today's world is the national honor society is a membership program. Uh, now, I'm not putting it down because it does offer a lot of benefits to people who belong to it. Uh, most high schools have a National Honor Society chapter, and there are requirements to be a member. You have to have a certain grade point average, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it was, I, I was told that I was useless and would never amount to anything in life because I was 0.03 away from qualifying for it. Meanwhile, I found out that nobody even asked when I applied for colleges, uh, mainly because I didn't mention it. At the end of the final nine-week period of my four-year imprisonment there, because a quiz grade rounded up by one percentage point, my entire overall grade point average flipped from the 3.4 range to the 3.5 range, thus at the very end putting me in the high honors category. I was the last one in the high honors category, but I, and it didn't change my class rank, but there we were. So that triggered a battle because I insisted on when I was you know, forced to do the walk that uh, you're, I think you're getting a sense of how I felt about the whole thing. I, uh, I uh, insisted on wearing two gold cords because damn it, I earned them. Yeah. And they tried to say, well, no, no, this is no class rank. And what kind of honors you are is based on where you were at the end of the third nine weeks of your senior year. And I said, bullshit. Yeah. bullshit. I don't care. I earned it. I and, in the end, and in the end, I wore the two gold cords. Yeah. Uh, they gave me the second gold cord and I wore it. But if it hadn't been for that, my uncle still had one of his gold cords. I was just going to wear 
mine and one of his and just yep. let them try and take me out of line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So I, mean, I th- so so what I'm getting at with this with this story is there's so much pressure to conform to something or to create some sort of narrative that leads into the college admissions process. And since it's going to be a journey anyway, what I appreciate that you're sharing with us is what students and their parents need to keep in mind building up to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's really critical, you know, to think about what you want out of the experience, what it means to you, you know, and, and make those decisions accordingly. Right. So the next question I have is, how can parents either promote or sabotage this development of high achieving students? Hmm. I mean, the promote is, is interesting. I mean, different students come into it with different levels of motivation, but also parents come into it with different levels of motivation, right? I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of families over the years who, you know, the student really, really wants it, right? And usually in those cases, the parent also really, really wants it. There are other cases where the student doesn't really, really want it. Yeah. And, but the parent really, really wants it. And that's where, you know, sometimes you run into issues. When you have a super high achieving, high motivation student and their parents are like that as well. And, you know, the stars are aligned in some ways, right? Because you tell, you, you give guidance to the student, they, you know, they implement it. They say, all right, I did it. What's next? You know, and, and that's just like they're rock stars. Um, other times you get a situation where the student's not that motivated. Um, maybe they have different plans for themselves or um, they kind of, you know, their, their teenage years are spent, you know, doing different things, focusing more on social stuff or whatever the case might be. And, you know, parents will, will get involved and they'll say, no, no, but they have to go to these schools and they have to do this career and all this kind of stuff. And there's a big disconnect. And sometimes look, <laughs> students have come to me and say, look, my mom or my dad wants X. I'm not that interested. Right. And Uh you're kind of in a stuck place because, you know, it's like, well, who breaks it to whom and how do we navigate this kind of stuff? And it's actually, you know, I think it's part of that adolescent identity development and young adult identity development and and things like this. But then sometimes I think that parents will, you know, will have a, a thought of like, well, this is why I'm hiring you, like motivate my unmotivated kid. And well, that it just doesn't work that way, right? So if the motivation's there, we can enhance it. If someone's on the fence and they're struggling with discovering what it is that they're passionate about or whatever, no problem, we can assist. But sometimes when there's no motivation, there are very little. We can't create the motivation, right? Unless it's because they haven't found something yet that they really enjoy and our exploration assists them with doing that. That happens, don't get me wrong. But we have to be mindful of what everyone's coming in with, who the different stakeholders are, who really wants this, right? Who is it for? Who is it not for? These kinds of things. And we've had difficult conversations. So I think as far as the promotion piece, you know, how do we how do we promote high achievement? It's getting everyone to buy into not only, you know, do we want to set, you know, do we want this student to, to go to a great school? but also who wants it and how much does each person want it, right? Yeah. And doing that, you know, and it's not like, <laughs> you don't just ask a student point blank, how much do you want it, kid? You know, that's not what I'm yeah. But essentially, you know, if, they're, if you're noticing that they're just not trying that hard or, you know, you get a sense that, you know, they're being told what to do, but they're not really pulling their weight in that activity, those are telltale signs of, you know, their heart not being in it. That doesn't mean you say, ah, this kid doesn't want to go to high, you know, a great school. Not at all. It's just a question of, hey, like, 
tell me how you're feeling about what you're, what you're doing right now. Um, uh-huh. you know, this is a private conversation, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling your parents right now. So like, just speak openly with me. How do we handle this? And, um, and you know, sometimes they'll share like, yeah, I'm actually really not into that activity. I kind of, you know, what do you like spending your time doing? Well, I kind of like spending my time doing more of X, Y, and Z. And that's how you navigate those situations. Right. Yeah. And so assist them with finding the right place, pursuing the educate, you know, the activities and education they want and so on, because look, you can develop a really strong extracurricular profile doing any number of things. You don't have to just focus on, you know, a certain set of activities that are quote unquote more serious than others. Unfortunately, a lot of parents will, will think that there are some, some activities that are just like more impressive in like just objectively, but that's not true. Um, you can have, you know, really amazing activities, no matter, you know, what area you decide to pursue them in. Uh-huh. And so helping them build that profile. Now, that's the promotion as a parent, you know, figure out what your child likes and help them double down on it. Because if there is a an incongruence between, you know, what you want and what they want, now we're in trouble because they're not necessarily going to do, you know, what it is that that you hope for them. And now you're going to butt heads. And, and that's when people get into to issues. Um, as far as, you know, how do parents get in the way? Well, it's the opposite, right? It's your students saying, I like red. And then the parents saying, no, but blue's the best color. You should like blue, right? Um, and I'm just using that as a silly example. But essentially, when a, a student is either communicating or through their behavior showing what they like, but, you know, their, their parent not responding to that, essentially saying, yeah, 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 I know you like that, but here's the game plan. And when there's that incongruence, then we run into issues where, you know, parents are saying, yeah, that's great. But which of these three clubs should they do? Yeah, but yeah. They're, the other kids in their class are doing X, Y, and Z. And that's what we want for him too. Or that's what we want for her too. Uh-huh. And, you know, if parents can take a step back and buy into, well, look, it's not like it was before. It's not a well-rounded approach that we have to take. But also there are many... There are many roads that lead to the same destination. And if you can understand that, okay, if my child does activity A versus B, they can still be ultra successful. Uh-huh. And that's going to be just fine. Yeah. Uh, I, as far as sabotage, when I was very young, I was classified as gifted. Uh, so mm-hmm. that, so it, the natural assumption came up that since I was good at many things, I was good at everything. One thing I was never any good at is mathematics beyond the fundamental tables. So I got pushed ahead into the advanced versions of algebra, geometry, trigonometry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I spent most of my secondary education time struggling with this, hating every minute of it, feeling like I'm missing out on getting to spend time on subjects I love just because I happen to be very proficient in them and can pass the tests easily. And it comes to a point where uh, my paperwork to process my enrollment in advanced placement courses, and you know, which count for college, in several different subjects showed up in my house the same day as yet another deficiency report about my inability to do algebra two. So, so then, you know, what they, what they what actually were seriously considering that I should do, that I should reduce my participation in other classes to the academic level, leave the gifted program, 
so that I have more time to figure out math. Now, I already knew at that time that there was nothing career-wise that I would do ever that would require me to understand algebra, geography, geometry, and trigonometry. So again, you have that, that pressure of conforming into something. And so when I went to Penn State and they gave me the equivalency tests, you know, the ones that say, okay, well, you say you're at this level, but let's find out what level you're really at. Since I had to give them two math classes, the, I, took the, I took the assessment and it was recommended I take remedial math. But if I really applied myself, I might be able to get through trigonometry and college algebra, which just happened to be the last course I took in secondary school, trigonometry and college algebra. So same pattern again, basically. But mm-hmm. by the time I got to the second part of the, of the college experience, when it comes to that, that was another case where I wasn't even really trying to ace it. I was just trying to get by and I was just tired of it. So, but I, but I, I gather that, and I think this permeates not only at the high school level, but also in particularly that extended general education portion of the universities is students, I think, to a degree, and I want to get your thoughts on this, are unduly forced to take all these broadening and enriching classes to the point where it's actually at the detriment of their major. Sure. Sure. And so, I mean, yeah, I don't know, you know, the, the history of how our current, you know, educational curriculum, like where that came from, right? You have yeah. to take X amount of English courses, Y amount of history, you know, this much math or, or whatever the case might be. Um, and so I won't comment on, you know, the needs of our society and our workforce right. at that time. What I will say is it's pretty clear that things haven't changed with the times, right? Yeah. And, you know, you have so many more, you know, we, we were in a place for, I mean, for decades now, you know, there has been this cry of, you know, make sure that, you know, everyone gets a college education and, and that, you know, there are some majors that are yep. more than others and all this kind of stuff. And, but then you had a situation where you had a lot of people coming out of a lot of colleges and they have certain degrees and certain expectations because of what was explicitly or implicitly promised to them. And it just kind of doesn't do it for you anymore. Right. Yeah. Where, you know, you come out of college, you're like, well, I have a bachelor's degree. And you're like, well, like everyone applying for this job has a bachelor's degree. And they're like, oh gosh, how do you find a job? Uh-huh. So now you're in situations where people are, you know, doing gig work or more entrepreneurship or whatever the case might be, but it's not like they're prepared for these things. You're just kind of going through it and, you know, hoping for the best. You know, I know for, for me, not that I, you know, when I was a little kid, it's not like I thought about being an entrepreneur or anything like that. It was, you know, at some point I was like, Hey, you know, in grad school, I was like, yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, I might want to do something on a bigger scale and serve more people or whatever the case might be. But when I, when I decided that it's not like I had any sort of support or, playbook or course I had taken and stuff like that. And I do think it's kind of, it's a bummer that, you know, a lot of our education in schools is, you know, designed to make us good at school, but not necessarily successful, uh, you know, with career and things of this nature, right? It's hard to apply a lot of those things. And look, I don't use, um, I don't really use much math beyond I don't know, 
let's call it eighth, ninth grade. And, you know, stats that I learned in college or grad school, but like the, yeah. the geometry, the calculus, the pre-calc, I, I, <laughs> I literally don't remember last time. I no, heard. no, 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 no. Uh, when I was in college, I built a competition grade stereo sound system and installed it in my Camaro. And people yep. have tried to argue with me that, oh, yeah, when you did that, you used algebra and ge geometry and trigonometry. Did you did you measure your subwoofer box? Did yep. you calculate did you calculate the gauges you need for power and ground wires? Did you calculate ohms? Did you calculate amps? Did you calculate watts? Uh, did yep. you deal with uh, did you deal with removing electrical noise from the transmission uh, yep. due to the frame of the car? Well, then you used all those things. And I say. No, I didn't use any of those things. What I used were a couple basic tools from my dad's workshop and uh, that allowed me to draw, use a, a pencil to trace along a line or to measure something. And as far as figuring out like what gauge and length of wires and stuff I needed like that, I looked at charts on the internet that other people created. Yep. Like I, like I found somebody who, who had built a system for a Camaro similar to mine with components similar to mine. And I read his, I read all the stuff he wrote on his website. Uh, it was a GeoCities website, just to date myself. And I kind of followed that. So the answer, the short answer is no, I didn't use those things. Somebody else used them for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, and we're becoming more increasingly specialized, all of us in yeah. what we do. And, and so, you know, I think uh, a general education is, is important up to a point and stuff like that. But then, you know, how do we help people specialize, not just within a major, right, but also within the, the type of work that they want to pursue? And do we just save this for people who are pursuing certain professional programs or whatever the case might be? But I would argue not. But then also, you know, a lot of people come out of college still not knowing what they want to do. I think we also have an expectation that yep. you go to school from 18 to 22 and you're supposed to know for the next 40 years what you ought to do. How many people do we know in their 30s, 40s, 50s who still kind of don't know what they want to do or uh -huh. don't know, um, you know, all this kind of stuff. And hey. So we have hey. to build that system for them. Hey, I remember, uh, you know, I, after undergrad, I went to Duquesne University and got my MBA. I was there from 2000 to 2002. Uh, during that time, I had a full-time job where I actually got promoted once uh, vertically and once diagonally. Uh, at the end of that, I ultimately decided after I finished MBA school that what I really wanted to do was start a business. So mm -hmm. I held on to the day job, got diagonally promoted there. Uh, and while I, you know, I still gave it its due, it kind of became my paycheck while I was developing my entrepreneurial venture, which I jumped into full-time in 2005. Yes, I know. I didn't know back then what I didn't know. I would have made that. Uh, I would have made that three months instead of three years. Anyway, anyway, uh, at the after I finished the MBA, uh, you know, I did do the job hunt thing, and I got a couple offers and what have you. And actually, it's that same friend of mine, uh, the one whose daughter was into carpentry. He even he even said uh, he asked me, well, "How long have you been at that job?" And I said, oh, "About three years." And he said, "Well." shit, you got to get out of there. You either get out, get, got to get your business started or you got to get working for another company because people are going to look at that and they're going to say, you were there more than three years. What the hell were you doing just sitting there? Mm -hmm. Which was a big change from what I've been raised with, which is that you find a company and you move up and you show look and you show your dependability and marketability by staying in one place for a long time. And even in 
by 2005, as he'd illustrated to me, and I you know, backed up through subsequent research, it had already shifted to, you can be rated by your dynamism and your attractiveness is at least partially measured by other companies wanting to hire you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your marketability transcends what you did in school. You know, no one's asking me how I scored on the test. They're asking me about, you know, track records of helping students and, you know, what the support would look like and all this kind of stuff. Right. And so uh-huh. I don't know that we are always, you know, in fact, no, I know that we're, we're not always prepping, uh, you know, our students to, to do the kind of work um, that they have to do to prep them for job searches and how to deliver in the real world. Well, I'll tell you how I monetize my MBA. It, um, I had a concentration in human resource management, but as you know, an MBA is an MBA. There's no major with it. You just declare a concentration, you take mm-hmm. a few courses in that area, and then you show prospective employers that you've done some study in that particular area. That's it. An MBA is an MBA. It's a generalist degree. Uh, so I had the, an ambition of being a, a training director for a Fortune 100 company, and then the entrepreneurial bug bit me hard, and that's where I went. But where I've monetized the MBA is when I approach clients that work in more corporate-based industries with the work that I do, uh, and most of what I do these days is helping entrepreneurs launch their podcasts, when I show up at their doorstep and I put those three letters after my name, MBA, I stand out from everybody else who's trying to get that business for them, and they say, oh, Here's a guy who not only knows what he's doing with what he, we want to hire him for, but he also knows probably a bit more than business and some of these other entrepreneurs out there. Mm-hmm. And I've, done, I've, I've done the math. I've monetized the MBA three times over just based on that one factor. Mm-hmm. There you go. Finishing paying off the loan is another thing, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a different conversation, right? Yeah. So, uh, so, so going, so going just a little bit, you know, a little bit deeper along this line here, um, you know, what I, I hear people who, and you hear these chants in, in the political discourse about free college, free college, free college. And mm-hmm. I say, okay, you want to do free college? And they show me the numbers that illustrate that if we spent just a little bit less on fighter jets, we could easily wipe out all the student loan debt. We give everybody a four-year education. My concerns with that are twofold. Number one, if you give everybody free college, now what you're doing is you're making it essentially mandatory education. Even if you don't pass a law requiring them to do it, it now becomes, well, if you didn't do it, you never really finished school. So Mm -hmm. what kind of job is there for you? And then the other piece of it is it seems to focus on one particular type of education, university four-level, you know, four-year college, which in right. this case is realistically five years when you think about it. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, and so I say, okay, so free college. Now, let's say I go by your numbers to show that we could actually do this just by simply buying three less fighter jets. Okay. Uh, we have Moabs I can, I, that can basically flatten a country without uh, releasing radiation. That's cool. So three less fighter jets. I'm with you. All right. All right. What about free trade school? Mm-hmm. You said yourself that you speak with students and maybe they're being pushed into a four-year college degree. But what they really want to do is be a carpenter. What they really want to do is be a house builder or they want to be a metal worker. 
because that really is their intersection, their brilliance and their passion. What about education for them? Yeah. I mean, so I'm all, I'm all for making sure that, you know, people in our country receive an education when they want an education. Yes. But also uh, in the field and area where they're interested in. Um, now we have to be a little bit careful, right? Because I think that there are some people who might be a little bit turned off with the whole college system in our country and say like, yeah. well, you know, trade schools and all this kind of stuff, free trade schools, all these kinds of things. You always have to wonder, well, are people coming and who are these people? You know, is it people who are coming out of, you know, high school and who are 18 and want to enter a trade? Is that how it that typically happens? Or is it people who did odd jobs and, you know, at some points they're like, well, I should really specialize in some sort of trade and then they go. And so are there age cutoffs and all this kind of stuff and whatever the case might be. So there are going to be a lot of different layers. There is also the truth um, that people in our country who have increasing levels of education tend to do better financially over the course of their careers. That's just a fact. Okay. Yeah. So people with bachelor's degrees on average through the course of their career make more than people without a bachelor's degree. People that's, with master's yeah, that's, degree, you know, do better. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, so that, that's why my friend wanted his daughter to do it to attend a four year university because he was also looking at the numbers of even if she does do carpentry as a, as a career, her earning potential is increased because she has a degree. So go ahead. Exactly. So I think that a lot of times, you know, in our country, people point to certain special cases and they argue that that's why they don't need to go to college. They'll say, well, Mark Zuckerberg didn't, or this person didn't go. And, you know, there's this, uh, I know someone who's a contractor, they never went and they may... Yeah, but these are special cases, right? So uh -huh. in other words, on average, people who have increasing levels of education do better financially than people with lower levels of education. So I'm all for providing alternative routes to education uh, and also, you know, training for people who necessarily like don't want to get a form. I'm all for that. But I also want to sound a little bit of that warning that, yeah, but we need to be careful not to use this as a as a sword against people who are promoting, you know, college education for others. Right? Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, yes, in our country, I don't think we do a good job of allowing people to develop the skills and the training that they need if it doesn't fit into some predetermined traditional path. Like in this country, if you want to go to a school and get a bachelor's degree in something, it's not that like you could do that. There are community colleges, there are universities, all this kind of stuff. Let's put the, the I mean, the financial component is key, but there are low cost universities in every single state, right? That can happen. The question is, what about the people who don't neatly fit into that box or that path? Also, what happens to the people who come out of that and now they need job placements and, you know, career training and all this kind of stuff. How many kids in college are getting interview coaching for jobs? I didn't I get any. Uh, yeah, I didn't. It's a minuscule percentage. Right? I mean, I mean, here's what I got for interview coaching is, uh, is I, uh, I was friendly with one of the coordinators with residence life. I was an RA among other things. And, uh, he had mentioned, and he had been speaking one day about, uh, how to do interviews and such. And I pulled him aside and I said, Hey, uh, do you know anything about this? Mm -hmm. And he agreed and he agreed to do a coaching session with me, but uh, I had to go and ask for that. I was getting it from somebody who wasn't officially the person to do it. And uh, 
it wasn't immediately clear to me that there was some place I could go to actually receive this. Yep. Exactly. And so people are having to, to find out themselves, you know, how to make this stuff happen. And there's no support structure, right? We, we have a lot of people that we're encouraging to go to various schools and do various things, but then they come out, you know, and they basically feel like, well, I held my end of the bargain. Yeah. You know, and I got my education. I did everything you said, you know, I was supposed to get X, Y, and Z at the end of the road. And then, and then they come out and they find that every entry-level job, it feels like, uh, wants at least three to five years of experience. Well, how the hell do you have three to five years of experience when you just got out of college? I mean, yeah, maybe you did internships. Maybe you, uh, maybe you were non-traditional. I don't know, whatever. Right. Uh, and, and my actual first job after I finished my undergrad is I worked for a recruiter, for, uh, worked as a recruiter for a temporary staffing firm that also had a headhunting division. Uh, we got resumes handed over to the temp site all the time from people who had just graduated from college and were asking for $25 an hour to be placed to a headhunter. Now hmm. I'm looking at this thinking, you know what? They went to college. They probably are worthy of the $25 an hour. They probably can earn that. They probably deserve it. Mm-hmm. But I see what's happening. The headhunters look at this and say, well, we can't sell this person to anybody because they don't have three to five years experience. So it's kind of a catch 22. Right. Exactly. Where do you get your first experience if everyone's asking for experience? Yeah. No. Tricky. Really tricky. It's like, it's like, who, it's like who let who down here. Now, now, in the time we have left, there's one other thing that I'm really passionate about because I wish I could have had this for myself. Uh, it was too heavily discouraged and I didn't have the fortitude at the time to really fight for it. I mean, I was, I didn't know what I didn't know. I was just a kid at that time, but I'm seeing more and more in today's world, the concept of a gap year between your secondary education and your university education. And I'm heartened to see that there's more and more available on that. And it's becoming, I don't know, you, you tell me as part of your answer, is it actually becoming normalized at this point or do we still have a way to go? Mm. So it's interesting, you know, the, the gap year, the gap year that I've, you know, when the students I work with, I've, I've observed that a lot of people taking gap years tend to be students who might have more resources and all this kind of stuff, because look, if I'm getting out of high school and I, you know, I don't have, my parents can't just, you know, financially support me doing certain things then a gap year might be less of a realistic possibility. Now it might be, I'm working, I'm getting job experience or whatever the case might be and doing yeah. that during my gap year. But some students, you know, who go and travel and all this kind of stuff and whatnot, that's not, that's, you know, sort of reserved for few people. Yeah. And so I'm all for gap years, but I think that they have, there has to be a plan, not just, uh, you know, necessarily you're to quote unquote, find yourself or whatever the case might be, because that can Correct. Be, you Well, know. you're still finding yourself, but you can't really say, well, I was just looking to find myself because, I mean, how does that work in, in job interviews or attracting a romantic partner? Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? So it's not going to get you that far. So there has to be a game plan. If there's a game plan of, look, I want to take a gap here because there's this thing I want to do. There was this, I don't know, thing I was developing and I want to use the opportunity to do it. Great. But uh-huh. if it's like, I need to go to Belize and that's going to teach me whether I want to be an engineer or an architect, um, I don't know that it's going to be very valuable to you. 
Well, okay, I see, I see what you mean. See, my interest in the gap year, as I mentioned earlier, I was skipped a grade in elementary school, so I was, uh, so I was chronologically a year behind my cohort, and I was tired of always being the youngest. That's why I extended my stay at Penn State, because I wasn't doing one semester of going to the bars legally. That, mm-hmm. that, that shit wasn't happening, okay? Right? Uh, right? <laughs> so, uh, uh, so part of it was I wanted to just get reset so that when I did enter college, I'd be chronologically aligned with my, with my grade cohort. Yeah. That was a piece of it. Uh, part of it was, uh, I, think you've, I think you've already heard me compare my high school experience to a prison sentence. So there was some decompression I wanted to do of just checking out of it for a minute. And yeah, there was also a piece that I wanted to work for a year and build up some capital. Mm-hmm. So for some folks, particularly with the cost of college education today, if they can find a job that pays enough to make it worth it, where they can actually squirrel away some money for their college experience, even if it's just so they know that they have a ready supply of beer money, whatever it is, that why, I mean, why not do that? I mean, people are living longer these days. And I don't think you lose all your skills after a year. I, I took it. There were two years between my undergrad and me going for the MBA. And in fact, I was told when uh, when a professor I knew at Duquesne University before I even considered the MBA, I told him that story. He actually said, no, 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 no. The fact that you have been out of college for a little bit is attractive to us because now you've seen a bit of the world. You'll understand what we're going to teach you better. Yep. Exactly. I mean, uh, I mean, can we see some of that at the undergrad level too? The fact that you got out in the world for a little bit and maybe it actually helped you appreciate more the value of an education. Plus you'll have a chance to, to uh, do that project you want to do, or maybe just blow off steam and party for a year, but whatever sure. it is, you come in more focused, ready to rock and roll. Sure. That's fine. And as long as everyone's on the same page about what it's going to accomplish or what the hope is, I am totally good with it. Right. So how do we make so how do we make college admissions officers good with it? What do we say to them? Again, they also want to see what you did. Right. Yeah. If it was, uh, you know, I just hang out at hung out at hookah bars with my friends and write that in your essay. That's not going to work out in your favor. But if you used it to explore something you're really interested in and shows your intellectual curiosity and, you know, gives you a level of clarity that you didn't have before. I'm all about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And is the call. Yeah. And if, and if the college admissions people are all about it too, this is where I want to help our listeners uh, who may be considering college themselves or have kids who are on their way to college. Uh, if they want to do the gap year thing, particularly in the entrepreneurial space, it's not, it's even less uncommon for the graduating high school senior to then go hang out in the family business for a little bit before they go to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And so again, when, whether you work with a consultant or teacher or counselor or school or whatever the case might be, you know, have a reason, not just like, ugh, it's too much right now to transit, which is a fine reason, but what are you going to do during that time? Right. right? If it's just going to play Xbox, you don't have my endorsement, you know? Right. Right. Um, but if yeah, but, something else then I'm good with it. Yeah. But if the real issue was, you know, I'm just mentally exhausted. I need a break before I sure. do this stuff again. Then the, way, then the way to sweeten that up and make it attractive to the college admissions people who probably understand the idea that maybe you just, after four years of their 12 years of the grind, you just want to, you just want to clear your brain. You want to go get drunk, get laid, whatever it is. But at the same time, uh, do something 
that's valuable. Maybe you can uh, build a research project. Maybe you can do some course online that shows that uh, even though it's not like a college course, you could sure. do something that shows your learning. Maybe you, uh, maybe you uh, dabble in entrepreneurship a little bit and get a taste of what it's like to generate an income. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. Maybe you write a book and get it published. That's not hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I took you, I took a year <laughs> off cause I had a book in me and I'm proud to say that it's available on Amazon and it was in the hot new releases for seven days. Yeah. There you go. And that would work. I don't know. Depends on what it's about and how good it is and how it was. Right. Approached. But it's something to consider. Sure. Again. Yeah. Cause heck I can work 40 hours a week and then uh, jot, jot and word for a couple hours and make a book out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people can do that, but, uh, and, uh, and maybe, and maybe the book could be, uh, you know, many people write books, regardless of whatever business objective they declare, part of it is a journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. some students just need more time to develop the clarity that they need to pursue what they want to pursue. And Great. it sounds like, uh, you know, I, and not sounds like, but I know plenty of students who just needed that extra time or needed that extra push or whatever the case might be. And, you know, so long as you get there in a reasonable amount of time. Right. So it'll work out. Right. So you have, um, I mean, you're a pretty well-known person. You've been featured in the Washington Post, NBC, New York Post, Business Insider, U.S. News, the Harvard Crimson. Uh, you've spoken at uh, so many Ivy League schools. I mean, so you've had uh, you know truly bipartisan news coverage for people who heard those names. And uh, you've spoken at some of the bellwethers of the educational community, the aspirational schools, which is awesome. Uh, now, we're at the end of our time here. So for somebody who wants to explore this further, how do they get a hold of you and what they have to look forward to once they do? Yeah, I mean, so really just visiting our site, uh, shemasianconsulting.com. I'm sure you'll spell that in the show notes because it's not, uh, doesn't yep. just roll off the tongue. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, people can visit our site, join one of our newsletters for college admissions resources or med school admissions resources or shoot me an email or fill out a contact form, whatever. It's very easy to get in touch. And um, as far as what to expect, I mean, really we assist with every aspect of the admissions process. Um, you know, at the time of recording this, September, 2021, we're, we're mm-hmm. full and we have a wait list going, but you know, folks are welcome to reach out with questions anytime or um, really just use the resources on our site. I mean, I have to say a lot of students every single year reach out and parents that say, hey, you know, I've just been using your free resources and they've been tremendously helpful. Thanks for putting them together. You know, I have this question, whatever the case might be. And it's always a treat to guide people. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, I want to thank you so much, Shidrog, for being with us today. It has been an honor and believe me in education. In your case, I'm going to say a catharsis. There you go. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Thank you again for having me on. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.